Welcome to Series 5 of the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. The series that uses incredible life stories to give God the glory. Before we dive into this week's episode, if you haven't done so already, be sure to click that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of the amazing testimonies in the future. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Uh, It's a great pleasure of mine to welcome Simon Lawrenson to the program today. Uh, Simon grew up in Portsmouth. And after leaving school, he studied music at Newcastle University in the mid-1990s, apart from a three-year period where he helped his parents with their advertising and marketing business, Simon has worked within the Calvary Chapel network of churches in the Portsmouth and Southampton areas. Uh, He's also a full-time secondary school teacher. How he does those two, I have no idea, but we'll find out in a minute. Uh, He's married to Laurie, and they have four girls. Simon, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for having me. So Simon, how did you come to faith in Christ and why do you follow Jesus? Okay, so um, grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a, um, uh, a fairly, um, originally a quite a strict Baptist background, brethren background, um, and then more of an evangelical free background. So I grew up in that environment with my uh, two brothers, my family, and um you know, my dad was just super faithful to um, to teach us, you know, to instruct us, to bring us up in things of the Lord. Um, but um, I was, uh, you know, a rebel at heart. Um, you know, part of me was, uh, you know, on a Sunday, I, I wanted to um, prove, you know, that, that, that God would accept me because of my own righteousness. But then on... Um, you know, Monday to Saturday, I would prove that um, he, I didn't need that kind of acceptance and was just a, you know, um, a, a bit of a rebel. And so um, it wasn't really until I was 19 um, when I, I met some guys. Actually, it was a, um, an outreach to my, my town. I met some guys who were, was you know, seemed to be, to begin with, living out their Christian faith in a very, very real way, not in a, uh, you know, more of a um, superficial, way, superficial way. Yeah. So this, this wasn't, you know, they, they were, they were talking about Jesus, um, you know, in McDonald's over a burger, you know, it was, it was real. It wasn't, I'm doing this because my parents want me to, or I wasn't doing this because it's a Sunday. I wasn't, I wasn't putting, you know, they weren't putting on their Sunday best in a spiritual sense. It was, there was something different that wasn't re- wasn't religion in the world's view, but it was um, it, it just seemed honest. It seemed tangible, and it seemed um, attractive because I I already had an understanding that the Bible. I believed the Bible was true. I just didn't believe the Bible was true for me. You know, I believed that God had spoken. I just didn't believe He had spoken to me. <laughs> you know, I believed that He had written written the Bible but I didn't believe that he had some things that he wanted to say to me. Um, so God, so I, I, I probably was a, I was a theist. I, you know, I believed in, in, in a God, but not a personal God, not certainly not a God that I could call father. Hmm. And so um, that led then to, there were some other kind of other circumstances going on in my life, but the main, the main crux of the matter was actually, um, all right, so you call yourself a Christian you say that you believe in God. Um, who is this Christ and who is this God that you claim to follow? 
And um, when um, I put myself up against these lads that I had met who were, actually some of them were younger than me, um, I was not only embarrassed, but I was also, you know, humbled that my Christianity mm. didn't match their Christianity. But what they were so good at doing was they said, it's not my Christianity, this is biblical Christianity. And so they were quick to point past themselves and don't, they, they weren't, they weren't going to say, oh, just be like us. Um, they were like, imitate me as I imitate Christ, like Paul said. And so they were pointing back to Christ all the time. So it wasn't um, like, if you want to, if you want this Jesus, you have to be like me. If you want Jesus, you have to be like Jesus. And that was then really, you know, like a challenge, a, a challenge because I couldn't live up to how these guys were living, let alone to the, the, the perfection that was was being yeah. required. Yeah. And they, they laid it out very, very plainly and very simply that, um, you know, if you want to follow Christ, you've got to you've got to forsake all. You've got to take up your cross and follow him. You've got to, you know, your love for your for your mum and your dad and your brothers has got to seem like hate compared to your love for Christ. And um, that yeah. was like, all right, that was life changing. So um, it looked beyond a superficial um, Christianity that I was used to and even gave adherence to, um, to something that actually turned into something that was a daily, it was a, a, a daily walk with Christ. Mm. So, um, I mean, was there some yeah. sort of crisis that was leading up to that point at all? Was there, was there something going on in your life at the time that led you to, in a sense, look for that? Or Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, I... Um, uh, I had a girlfriend who um, was from an unchurched family and um, you know my, my parents quite rightly kind of you know, frowned, frowned on that um, and so she became pregnant and that was then you know um, you know Paul talks about how um, if, if it wasn't for the law I would not have known sin mm. all of a sudden that was that was now in my face with you know a, almost like a uh, a, a, a ticking kind of clock Time saying, clock, yeah. you know, saying, well, you know, at some point you've got to go public. At some point you've got to tell your parents. At some point this is going to cause mm. oh. some problems. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was running headlong into a wall yep. that I that I was out of control in terms of that yep. um, and with no ability to... Um, give any direction and you know yeah. in myself the kind of person I am I'm a fixer I couldn't fix it I couldn't change it um, I couldn't strategize my way out of it mm. and um, it was it was that context going on in the background with my with the implanted knowledge of the word that my parents had given me that all of a sudden came um, brought me really to that crossroad where it was it was either, it wasn't even a crossroad actually it was a, a, a v junction you know you either go to the left you go to the right you either go your way you go god's way um if you go your way it's going to be a nice easy way actually um there's going to be some hardship but you're not going to have to confront a b c d e and f if you go this way the right way in terms of god's way it's going to be incredibly difficult and actually if if god had told me how difficult it would have been at the beginning you know I can't say that I would never have, but mm. I think in God's grace, mm. you don't find out how difficult things are going to be until they until God has prepared you for those things. Mm. And so, um, uh, that 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 then decision to and it was a humbling, 
um, humiliating, I would say, um, decision to, you know, got, my parents had, had, had instilled on me to do what's right. If you do what's right, you'll never get to wrong. Interesting. And um, that was um, instilled in me from a very young age, and, and you know, primarily by my parents and and the youth workers at church and, and this, that, and the other. Um, and I knew, I, I knew that meeting these guys, having this spiritual reality kind of highlighted to me was not a coincidence that it was happening exactly at the same mm-hmm. time as uh, all this other mess yeah. that I'd got myself into. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, Simon. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so, second part of the question, why do you follow Jesus? So... Um, because there may be people listening yeah. to this and say, well, okay, yeah, well, I follow this or I follow that, but why Jesus? Yeah, and so my experience is not the reason to follow Christ. So my, my view is that experience alone is not a valid reason to follow Christ. Um, I can't remember who, who said it, but you, you basically, for any world religion to be, um, to be valid, you need two things. You need, you need it to be intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. And if you don't have both at the same time, then you've got a problem. So intellectually credible, it's got to make sense. It's, you know, you, you, um, you, you can't, you, if you're putting your, your eternity on, on the line, you can't just say, well, um, it can be whatever it can be. It's got to be, it's got to, it's got to add up. You know, the, the truth of um, Jesus, the, the prophecies concerning Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, um, the ascension of Jesus, the Bible itself, um, if that is made up, n- n- you know, none of this is is worthwhile. Um, it might be existentially satisfying, so it might it might feel good, but if it's not true, then it's pointless. Yeah. Um, at the same time, if it's only existentially satisfying, if it's only good for me, um, and it doesn't make sense, then it might be good for you. But so what? Why then, Jesus? What you could do a whole bunch of other things, and actually. Yeah. In the West, we have this idea that Christianity is good for you and generally is good for you, but that it, that it comes with a price. And so, um, you know, Christianity, any world religion, actually, to, to stand the test, it's got to make sense. It's got to be intellectually credible. It's got to stand the test of that those the, the highest scrutiny. Um, but it's also got to be good for you. And Christianity says, uh, and Jesus says, um, you can you can count on me, uh, you can do your test, you can search me, you can know me, and I'm not only good for you in this life, but I'm good for you eternally. Mm. And so that's the why that's the reason I follow Christ is because um, I've I've come to discover in in as much as I can with my own small brain that um, no other world religion can stand the test like Christianity can stand the test. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, um, on leaving school, uh, you went to Newcastle to study music. Uh, I mean, were you always musical? That yeah. So, um, what, so, yeah. So. Yeah. My parents got given a um, a piano um, when I was, uh, I guess, four and a half, five years old, and um, they so they invested um, all three. My my older brother and my younger brother. We all had piano lessons for years and years and years, and. Um, uh, so that's so yeah. So since the age of about five, um, I've been playing the piano, <laughs> and um, then picked up various other instruments as I kind of went on, and mm. um, really kind of started to follow that that track. And um, 
you know, now obviously I'm spending most of my time as a, as a musician in a school, as a, as a music teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you left uni, um, what did you do having left? I mean, did you think about going to be a music teacher or, or what happened during, the, during those sort of early years after you left uni? Yeah, so we came back from uni and um, I, was, I was married at this point because I'd married that girlfriend that I, you know, I'd spoke about. So um, she's, she's now my wife. We've been married nearly 25 years. And um, Congratulations. we had, thank you, we had, two, so we had two children by the time we left university. And um, we moved back down south started going to the church that those guys that I'd previously spoken okay. to were part of yeah. and um, started to get plugged into that church, trying to pick up work wherever I could. Um, that was including, you know, fast food restaurants, um, did a bit of home education for, you know, tutoring. Never entered my mind to be a music teacher. Uh, I'd done some kind of what we you would call instrumental teaching, like the one-on-one thing. Um, and that was okay. Um, but never entered my mind that it would be a good idea to go into a school and teach, mm. you know, 30 teenagers at a time. Um, <laughs> now, during this time, you also sense God's call um, to plant a new church in Southampton. I mean, how did this call manifest itself? How did mm. God lead you to even consider doing that? Yeah. So um, we so we're part of this church, and um, this church was uh, working with a with a Christian organisation, a Christian ministry that um, was uh, a Bible teaching ministry essentially. That you know there would be teaching, and that those would go into what we call a packet. So like um, back in the old days, you know, two tapes in a little quite. Um, uh, uh, folder thing and uh, people would call the office and we'd send them the teaching tapes mm-hmm. and, uh, and then we'd put on events or you know uh, teaching days where yep. we'd get various different um, guys come in everything from um, verse by verse teaching so we did one event that was teaching through the book of Daniel verse by verse over two days yep. um, we did one that was um, a more of an end times prophetic kind of thing and then one was which more of a creation kind of thing and um that really started, and so I was working then on staff at the church in the yeah. office, yeah. and I I was talking to dozens of people from around Europe about um, Bible teaching, how we need robust, you know, good, deep Bible Bible teaching um, in this country and in you know predominantly Western Europe, and so over the course of I guess it was probably nine months to a year. Um, I, I'd spoken to hundreds of people who were in towns or cities um, where they lived, expressing an interest in saying things like, "We wish we had a Bible teaching ministry or a ch- you know predominantly a church in our town." And um, you know, at first I just couldn't believe it. I, I was you know I was I was blown away by the fact, and this is this is the end of. Uh, the end of the 90s, I was blown away by the fact that the people were telling me that they're there sitting in their town um, on a Sunday morning listening to the very tapes that they're buying hmm. um, as as church um, because they couldn't they couldn't um, find they, they couldn't find a Bible teaching church and and what we what they what they defined Bible teaching church as was verse by verse exposition. 
that's what they were hungering for. And so, um, you know, in my in my mind, I you know, when these guys called, they would say, oh, you know, do you know of any Bible teaching churches? And I'm like, well, you know, I, not really. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pray. I'll pray with you. So I started keeping a list of all these people all around Europe who would call and say, um, I want to order this new Bible teaching. Oh, and by the way, do you know of any Bible teaching churches in, in my area? No, I don't. But give me your name. Or I'll start praying for you. Yeah. I, and so... Um, that's how we then started sensing the call because we were praying and God was laying on our heart um, the need for this kind of ministry in those kind of places. And so um, it was uh, it, it was kind of almost like um, uh, a precursor. You know, God was preparing us to say, well... Um, who should, you know, who should I send? You know, well, I'm sending you. Don't look anywhere else. I'm, I'm going to send you. Um, but you need to have um, a heart's desire to go and minister to people first. Don't go just to go. You've got to, you've got to go and love the people. And so through that praying, it was a really preparation of our hearts to then love those people that we were praying for. We didn't know them. We'd never met most of them. Um, but we'd committed to pray for them. And so there was then a group of people um, in the Southampton area that were then asking the same thing and we were praying for them. And then because it was Southampton, it was fairly close, we would say, well, we'll come over once a week and we'll just, we'll come and just support you. We'll come and pray with you. And they were going through um, through the Bible um, in, in a 24-hour kind of segment, um, which was one of our um, Bible teaching things. And um uh, we'd go over on a, a Wednesday and we'd pray with them and we'd, you know, watch this video as it was then and uh, we'd discuss the Bible and there was just a, a real hunger for um, that kind of thing. And I just thought, Lord, what, why, why, are we, why are we giving them this? Why can't we just be this? Um, and I, I, I remember starting to get really quite angry that, that you know, the, the Lord wasn't doing something. And um, then, you know, I just had that kind of revelation. Well, maybe the Lord is doing something and the Lord's saying you. And then, then you know what? I said, Lord, you're not sending me to Southampton as a, as a guy who grew up in Portsmouth. Um, They're the they, enemy, are they? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so um, I was like, Lord, send me anywhere by Southampton. And so, yeah, now we've been in Southampton 16 years. Yeah. 2004, you planted the church there. And uh, you also went to Southampton University to do a postgraduate certificate of education in music. And since 2005, you have been a full-time secondary school teacher and also pastor of Calvary Chapel, Southampton. How does doing both jobs, ministries work? How does that work? How can you be a full-time secondary school teacher and a pastor at the same time? I mean, you must be super organised. Uh, you know, uh, I, the way I look at it like is, is like this, is that I'm a full-time pastor working as a musician in a secondary school. <laughs> you know, so because teaching can be all-encompassing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know I have colleagues that work just yeah, yeah, day yeah. and night. Yeah, we do too. Yeah. And um, I, I just think that um, if it's, it, it I, I wouldn't say that teaching is my vocation and it is a vocation but it's also not paying the bills it's almost like a missional aspect to me being a pastor so um you know originally 
it was, I, I need to support myself, I need to support my family. My older brother was a teacher, he'd been nagging me for years. He was like, you should be a, you'd, you should be a teacher, you'd be a great teacher. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, I, I don't want to do the, the, you know, what I thought, you know, the eight till three. Um, and uh, then I, I, we made the decision, okay, we're going to go and plant this church, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to sustain us financially as a, as a family. So how do we do that? Well, maybe for a couple of years, I'll, I'll, I'll teach. And um, then I started to get this um, this kind of idea. I've been doing some readings. You know, a guy, a guy Ed Stetzer, who's really kind of f- uh, formed a lot of my understanding in terms of uh, missional living, um, is that actually these two things aren't incompatible and are not against each other. Actually, our work, our vocation, mm. uh, is part of our mission. Is a mm. massive part of our mission. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, actually, I just see it as an extension of my pastoral work that I do at church. But it's it's it just happens to pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you're the father of four girls. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, how does your relationship, understanding of God as Father, help you? as the father of four girls? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, the uh, the relational aspect is super important and it kind of goes back to my own testimony in that I had a theoretical understanding, a theological understanding of justification and of sanctification. I knew those two things to be true in the Bible at least. I could point you to them. I could probably even explain them to you as a 16-year-old. Um, but when it comes to um, those two things, there's something better than justification and sanctification. They, it doesn't stop there. Um, we are justified and sanctified because we've been adopted. And adoption is like that. It's not. It's not like it's the highest form of what God is doing, but it's justification so that we can be adopted. It's sanctification so that we can look like His Son. We're not His sons, but we've been made like His sons. So we have this sonship. So um, uh, adoption is the, is, the, is the thing that we, I, I, I just believe it's the thing that we miss most in Christian theology. We, we love justification. We love to know that we've been forgiven of our sins, that God is a gracious God, that he forgives the sinner. We also love to know that even though we're not there yet, none of us are perfect, we're still in progress and process and God's working in us. Yep. But how I approach God when I mess up, that's adoption. And so in terms of fatherhood, and I, and I, and I, I don't mind saying this, I got that wrong for many years, that um, you know, my role as a father was to raise them up, um, you know, to, to love the Lord and to walk in his ways. But you know, late, later, you know, my, my kids have been so gracious to me, but... Um, Later, I understood that to be that's in relationship to their father, i.e., me to start with. That um, when they when they mess up and they will mess up and they do mess up, I'm not there as judge, jury, and executioner to hand out their sanction, because everybody needs um, those guidelines and everybody needs, you know, um, consistency and sanctions or whatever. But I'm there as their father to love them even when they do mess up yeah. and for them to know that as our father in heaven does with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Now you, uh, we all have struggles in life. Um, 
I understand there was a period in your life when you struggled with the issue of anger. Mm. You will not be the only guy that has ever had to deal with that. Um, how did that manifest itself? And are you still angry? I'm not angry. And uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I can only tell you that that's just been a work of God in my life. Um, there, there hasn't been a formula. There hasn't been a reason. There hasn't been something. There wasn't one night where, you know, the light suddenly appeared and all of a sudden I woke up and I wasn't angry. Um, I was um, Dr. David Banner for many, many years, you know, and, uh, you know, the Incredible Hulk. And, um, uh, you know, I would I would uh, fear those fear those days where um, I would lose lose control and not be able to control myself and then uh, be filled with guilt in the days after. Hmm. And um, I think, you know, looking looking back, I think many, much of it was a, a control issue. Like, um, I, I, want, I want this to happen, and I want it to happen in this way, um, a pride issue. I want people to know that my kids are perfect kids, that the pastor's kids have, you know, the mm. pastor's got it all together. Um, you know, all of these kind of like, uh, Jerry Bridges talks about them as, um, uh, what does he call them? He, uh, like undercover sins or something like that. They're, you know, the sins in the background, the sins that we don't talk about, like pride. Um, and so anger, it, I, I came to understand anger and, uh, a guy called, uh, Ed Welsh really helped me in understanding that anger is the flip side of anxiety. And how um, you we get angry when we see a threat or we think that there's a threat coming to us for whatever reasons, yep. we, and we're going to lose control. So, you know, Adam in the garden, um, we we have this flight or fight mode mm. that psychologists yeah. talk about. Yep. Well, the Bible calls them anger and anxiety. Yeah. And um, so Adam, you know, he ran. That was his flight mode. Yeah. Um, his anxiety mode. He ran from God, and then he started blaming his wife. Well, that's the fight mode. And so we see that right in the garden. And so um, the answer to anxiety and anger um, is not to try and switch from anger, you know, to turn the coin over and to go, well, I'm, I'm going to be less angry. I need to be more anxious. Well, that's just the same. That's yep. a different side of the same problem. Yep. Um, the answer is to, um, to combat anger and anxiety with faith. So um, when, when there's a threat that appears... And, and it's a threat for whatever reason. Yeah. And it could be robbing us of whatever it could be. Our, our, our image, our self-identity, our self-worth, whatever it could be. When we sense a threat, the answer to that threat is to, you know, to go to God. What does Paul say? In everything with prayer and supplications, make your request known to God. Mm. So you go mm. to God in prayer. And prayer is an act of faith. Because you're going to God and saying, you know what? I'm out of control in this situation. I don't know how to answer this, and I see this threat coming, but God, I know that you're bigger than this threat, and so I'm coming to you to help me. Yeah. And so actually, you know, the answer to anger, I guess, is prayer. And God has graciously made me more of a, I'm not there, but more of a man of prayer mm. than I think I have ever been. Mm. Fantastic. What, what tremendous advice. So if you are listening to this, and you have an anger issue or problem, then um, uh, we need to heed those words from Simon. Now, um, you are an expository preacher. You love the Word of God. Um, you preach it, obviously, week in, week out at your church in Southampton, but also I know you preach it in the cathedral, 
you know, <laughs> festivals and stuff like that. So why is the Bible important to you? Well, the uh, the classic answer is because it's it's the word of God. But I think it goes it goes further than that. Um, there is something that happens when when you when you submit yourself under the authority of the word. So there's many people that would say, even some secularists I've met, they have said, you know, that the Bible is is unique. The message is unique. The composition is unique, um, and there's nothing like it but i don't think that goes far enough because as i say there's people who don't even believe in the contents of the bible that might say that and so it's the so for me it's the working of the word of god written and then um explained or written and spoken working with the the power of god in his holy spirit to bring the word of god home to you so I, I'm really, uh, really passionate. It's probably the wrong word, but um, for want of a better word, I'm passionate about not just teaching the word of God. So saying, you know, well, here's a map of Ephraim. Here's a map of Dan. Giving the facts. This is what the Bible says. And I think that's true. We have to do that. But the thing that I missed so much growing up was here's what the Bible says to you. Here's what God says. This is the Bible. We believe it's God's word how can i you know uh, how, how can does I, it apply how does it apply so what yeah. what are you going to do about it yeah and it may not be um you know here's here's a congregation or a small group here's the same message for all of you it may be okay so god i believe you've spoken so what are you saying to me today and um i think that's why the word of god yeah. i don't think you can it, it, and it, you know, you, you can't bypass that, and it doesn't change. You know, um, you know, I'm a musician, so I, I love, I love all the the worship. I love the music, and um, I have, uh, I'm fairly conservative, but I, I, I love standing. You know, here we are at Creation Fest, and I love standing at the back of the big shed, and I just, I like watching people worship. I love listening to worship music, but um, if that's all there is, then that is very subjective. It's based on how I'm feeling today, how well the performance is going, how well they're playing. Yep. Um, and although that is wonderful and needed, it is not crucial and it's not essential. Yep. How do you study it? So, uh, I, I, this has changed over the years. So when I was first introduced to Bible study, it was inductive Bible study method. Hmm. Um and so not, you know, not dissimilar to precepts. Yeah. And we've used precepts year for years and years in different scenarios at different times. Mm. Um, right now, the way it's actually, it's still inductive. It's still, that's the bread and butter, you know, it's, this is what the Bible is saying. I'm not coming to the Bible with my own yeah, ideas. ideas. Yep. Yeah. I'm saying, this is what the Bible says. And if this offends me or it hurts me or it causes me to change, good, because that's the Holy Spirit working in it. Mm. Um, and so um, sometimes, you know, uh, how do I study for myself? Uh, I like to um, I like to bracket stuff. So if you see my Bible, I have brackets all over the text. So I'll, and, and sometimes it will be um, maybe half a sentence of 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 the bible and i'll want to chew over that for the rest of the day sometimes i'll just want to read a chapter two chapters 
and, and go through systematically. I've done that in, in the past. Sometimes I've, I've taken a, a period of time and I've just read the same book every day for a month. Yeah. Um, so Different methods. Different methods, different ways. Yeah. But I think the, the cardinal rule for me is always that the Bible is above what I, what I think it says. Yeah. The Bible says what it says. Yeah. If it says if it says something I disagree with, mm. I have to change my opinion. Yeah. I have to change my understanding. Now, if you're hearing rain in the background, you would not be wrong. <laughs> We're sitting out in a, in a little bit of a blizzard down here in Cornwall. So will you just forgive us for that? Now, you mentioned you've done some preset Bible studies with your um, with your church, actually. Uh, how did how did they go? Um, how did how did you know was that well received or? Uh, what are your recollections of doing those types of studies? Yeah, love it. You know, uh, we first actually did it with the family. Um, and we did, um, uh, well, one, one I specifically remember, it probably wasn't the first, but one I specifically remember was the Resolve stuff for youth, yeah. um, which is very powerful. We did the life of Daniel, I think, with our kids um, when they were younger. Um, and then as a church, we've been through small groups. Mm. Um, so we've done... Um, there was one about um, temptation yeah, for men. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that with our men's group over yeah. about six months. Uh, once a month, men's breakfast. We mm. just went for a chapter each. Hmm. And um, uh, they loved it because, you know, one of the things about the inductive stuff and the precept stuff is that, you know, here's, um, here's the Bible. And we're not going to go anywhere else apart from yeah. the Bible. Yeah. And there was a temptation, I think, especially in our... Our digital, yep. our instant world yep. is to go, okay, give me the answers now. I want the answers. I want the answers. I want the answers. I'm going to go to this commentary and this commentary. Yes. And commentaries are great. Yep. But, and I, I say as a Bible teacher, because, you know, we have our, you know, we obviously have our, our sermons on line. But I would say, don't go to them. Don't go to them first, at no. least. Yeah. You know, go to the Word, because the Word has something for you today. God has something to say to you today. He's already spoken, <laughs> but he wants to speak to you today. Mm. And so... That's the really powerful thing about, you know, what you guys are doing with Precept is that here's the Bible. All right. It may be laid out, double space, wide margin, still the word of God. And you're going to go through it slowly. You're going to go through every single word and you're going to pause. Because we live life at such a pace, don't we? Of course we do. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's like, um, um, you know, with Moses, I, I always, you know, we go back to Moses, Moses in the wilderness and the burning bush. And there's a specific phrase in, I think it's chapter 3, in, in Exodus chapter 3, it says that he would have passed by, but he turned aside to see. <laughs> How much is that like us, you know, especially when we're going through the word? We're going through a word, right or not? Why? Well, we want the answers. Yeah. And we need answers. There's no getting away from that. We do need answers. We need God to, to intervene in our lives and into our families, into our cities. But actually, we can sometimes, we have to actually, we have to turn aside, aside to see, see. what lovely. God has got for us today. That is lovely. That is absolutely lovely. Yeah. Uh, do you have, now I know this is a tough question for a Bible teacher, do you have a favourite Bible book or, and or, character? So the books that I would go to, or, you know, the book I would go to time and time again is the Psalms, mainly because, hmm. you know, I see, you know, like whoever it is, you know, sometimes it could be David, sometimes it could be Moses, sometimes it could be someone else, but they are real life responses to what God is doing with them. And sometimes you have to chew them over and kind of kind of say, what do you mean? You know, um, why is David expressing himself in that way? That just seems 
a little odd, but then you read back and you know into you know first, second Samuel, whatever he's, whatever the context is. Yes. And um, you, you get that backstory, and then you kind of read Psalm chapter two again. And you go, oh, okay, yeah. I've got it. Um, yes. I mean, the classic example of that is David and Bathsheba, isn't it? Yeah. Psalm fifty-one. Of course it is. Yeah. And you know Samuel two Samuel eleven twelve. Uh, which gives, you say, the backstory of David that's right. and Bathsheba. And then, but then you see him pouring his heart out to God in Psalm 51. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, those... Um, I love going to the Psalms but just because they are so... Um, they just seem real. You know, it's, for me, in my in my mind... And I love I love Book of Philippines. That's like another one I, I, will, I will go to. But if I go to Hebrews, for example, I love... I, I mean, I love them... I, I, no, I don't love them all. Some of them, some of them are harder to read than others, personally and kind of exegetically, they're harder. Yeah. But um, my mind wants to go and dissect the text sometimes too quickly, just devotionally. So when I go to the Psalms, I'm not looking to dissect exegetically. I'm not looking to pull it apart and find out what the Hebrew root word of this and the Greek word of that is, and then trying to find what the verb is and all of that. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to say. A mighty fortress is our God. You know? Uh, he is our refuge and strength. Yes, exactly. Very present help in times That's of right. trouble. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. need to find a commentary to know, understand what that means. <laughs> you know? I don't, you know, Matthew Henry's great, but I don't need him yeah. to tell me that actually that could be a verse for me today from God. Yeah. And so the Psalms are a place where I go to say, to find out really, okay, David struggled with that? Boy. If yeah. David struggled with that, if yeah. Moses struggled with that, if, if you know the sons of course struggled with that, then yeah. maybe yeah. maybe I'm struggling with this too. And, and here's yeah. the answer. And 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 one of the beauty, beautiful things about the Psalms is that if you if you read them all the way to the end, there's almost always you know a verse that says, "Can lift you." Yes, ascribe to the Lord, or you know, yeah. be still. You know, there, there's a be still, um, be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Yeah. Well, we sing that as a um, a triumphal kind of, uh, you know, the Finlandia, be still my soul, da, 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 da. or, you know, um, the David Evans, be, be still for the presence of the Lord. But actually, that's, you know, when you read the Psalms, that's a rebuke. Be still. Your heart is too noisy. You know, sit still, be quiet before the Lord. Let him work. Yeah. And the Psalms, of course, a lot of them, you know, set to music, weren't they? Yes, they you were. Know. Yeah. Asaph, one of David's chief musicians, you know, he wrote a number of the Psalms. Yes, he did. And so sometimes we can forget that. Of course, Hebrew poetry, it's Hebrew poetry, the Psalms, a lot of them. Yep. And therefore, yeah. and that's different to English poetry, you know, and so you have a line, and it's good to look out for these things, actually, as you read the Psalms. You know, you have a line, and then you'll have an, ex- an expanded, it'll be the same thought, but put in a different way, the next line. Yes, that's right. Um, repetition. Or sometimes there'll be an acrostic... Yes, you know, through the Hebrew letters of the, you know, the yeah. Hebrew alphabet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Psalms. What about um, a character? Is there a particular character you think you know what? Apart from Jesus, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's so many, isn't there? And you could go to so many. I guess um, as a character, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, I love Daniel. I love. Daniel's a good good example. I was just teaching on Daniel just this week. Um, actually, you know what? With character studies, you know, when I if I'm if I'm in if I'm in Philippines and I'm teaching, uh, you know, a, a book by Paul, a letter by Paul, Paul all of a sudden becomes my favourite character. <laughs> yeah, so you know, and I'm in... teaching in Nehemiah. Nehemiah all of a sudden becomes yeah. my favourite character. Yeah, yeah totally, um, totally. What about um, 
a favourite verse? Oh, oh well, that's an easier one. Uh, so Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Um, for me, that is the, the pinnacle, the summation uh, of the Christian life. Um, it's, not, it's not I who live. Um, so, so how does that work out? So, yeah, you know, um, we get this, there's a, a comment, I'm going to be controversial, but th- we get this common phrase where we say, well, God will give you a second chance. Don't worry about it, God will give you a second chance. Uh, if you mess up, it's okay, God's going to give you a second chance. Now, while I believe that to be true, I actually almost, I always, uh, I also find it fundamentally untrue. Because while, if we're saying that God will give you a second chance, that God will invite you back absolutely 100% with you. But if we're saying that God has given you a second chance to try again, that is fundamentally untrue and anti-gospel. Because the truth is, is that God gave us in the garden one choice and we blew it. And then he gave us a second Adam and he was perfect. And so it's not about me going back and trying again. It's not about me trying harder because I've tried a thousand times and failed. It's about the life of Christ living in me. It's about his life living in me. Not me. Try. I still try. And it's not, it's not negating the fact that there's effort involved in the Christian life because there is. But it's the understanding that my righteousness is not based on my second, third, fourth attempt at being good. Yeah. And growing up in a, what seemed to be looking back, what seemed to be a church environment that led me to believe, whether it did or not, whether it was actually true or not, is irrelevant actually to me. It led me to believe that if I can dress up in my Sunday best on a Sunday morning, God will accept me. And if on a Monday, I'm out and about doing whatever I'm doing, and come back the next Sunday, that's my second attempt, and God will accept me if I just try. Hmm. And um, God's got more for us, or wants more for us than that. Absolutely. He yeah. wants to empower my life yeah. to live, to be able to have his life hmm. living through me. So it's, it's, you know, I've been crucified, you're dead. You know, that's what we believe as Christians, that we have been born again. My old life has dead. The old man has gone. The new man has come. I am a new creation. And there is no condemnation to now those who are in Christ. Mm. So, um, you know, I can, I can mess up and I do mess up. John says that when we sin, that there is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And there is no limit on that. We can keep going back and going back and going back. But the, the measure or the, you know, the... The way, the reason he he doesn't he forgives us is not because I've tried harder. The reason he forgives us is because Christ tried once and was successful and was hundred percent perfect, and he gave me his perfect life in exchange for my dirty life. And so um, my life has been crucified. When when I died, when Christ well, when Christ died, he took my my dead body to the grave. When he rose, he left my body there, and he, now he gives me his life in exchange. And that is the best news that you can ever hear. And he came, John 10, 10, that we may have that life. Exactly. In all its fullness. Yeah. How awesome is that? Amazing. Simon, I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You know, I take my hat off to you, seriously. You know, being a pastor 
but also you know running a church, preaching day in day out, week in week out, uh, but also being a secondary school teacher with all those responsibilities, being a father, four daughters. I t- particularly take my hat off you for that. <laughs> Um, and just really that the Lord will continue to use you uh, mightily uh, in what he's called you to do. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. By leaving a rating or review, you can help us to reach a wider audience with the good news of God's grace and plans for his people. But otherwise, until next time, we hope you have a blessed week from all of us here at PMUK. UK.